Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes from Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Joe Hodges from The Extraordinary Executive. Before we settle into the show today, if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the podcast. I know that you're going to love Joe's story of doing whatever it takes. And if you're returning for more, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Make sure you take a little peek at your phone quickly and hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on now. That way you will never miss an episode and you'll always have some inspiration in your pocket every couple of days. One last thing, if you like what you hear today, please share this with your friends and your family. Joe has an inspiring story and if we can help just one person break through their barriers like Joe did, then that can only be a good thing. So let's share the goal in love far and wide if we can, please. Alrighty, let's get into today's show. As regular listeners of the Goal In Podcast would know, this show is about potential. It's about committing and about doing whatever it takes to succeed, no matter what. We all know what this feels like because each and every one of us have committed to something at some point in our lives. But what do you do when the only thing that you've ever been told is that you'll never amount to anything? How do you go all in? How do you commit and forge forward in the face of what seems like overwhelming adversity? Today, you're about to hear a story that's actually, it's actually pretty hard to listen to. Joe grew up in a really tough family environment. She lost her mum at a very young age, and her father was not just abusive to her, he was downright mean, right from an early age. And as you listen in today, you'll recognize just how hard it must have been for Joe. Her starting point was she came from a place of massive disadvantage compared to most of us. But in spite of all of that, she managed to break through and succeed at life. Even though past experiences never go away and they can never be changed, Joe has managed to make the most of the opportunities that have been presented to her and she's built a great life and a successful business for herself. If you want to know more about resilience, about determination and forging ahead in spite of a rough past, then you're absolutely going to love this show. I'm excited she's here, so please help me in welcoming Joe Hodges. Joe Hodges, welcome to the Go In podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited. You're very welcome. We've had a couple of epic conversations in the lead up to this. You and me can seem to talk for hours and hours on the phone about all sorts of things. So I'm looking forward to recording the conversation and doing that on a podcast. But before we get into all of that going craziness, let's get to know you a little bit. Let's share a bit about you with the audience. Tell us about where you're from. Tell us a bit about you. Okay, well, originally I'm from a little country town in New South Wales called Corowa. My father was a shearer, so uh, shearer's daughter from Corowa. So that's where I grew up and then I moved to Melbourne, you know, when I was about 16, 17 and started my, my journey there in Melbourne. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Do you ever go back to country New South Wales like that? Oh, absolutely. It is. It was the best town to grow up in, Rob. It was such a beautiful community. And I do go back. I've got an aunt and uncle there that are still there. And I go back whenever I can because it's, as soon as I go back there, I just feel at home again. You know, it's, it's, so, it's such a beautiful place. Very nice. I, I was lucky in the last year or, year or so, a mate of mine, he had a, uh, a small plane and we're both pilots and we would get in his little bug smasher and, and tear around Western New South Wales and go to a few different places. And mm. I, I would always, because I'm from the, from the big smoke, as the <laughs> country folks would know it, right? And I, I would go to these places mm. and I was always struck by how quiet it was. And 
just yeah. like the no traffic noise and the bush yeah. it was quiet it was serene and everybody was like very friendly and nice and open and warm and i was i remember thinking that where i come from in australia that's not the real australia that's just a mm. busy big city and country new south wales and, and getting out amongst the the communities like that that's real australia that's kind of cool mm. It is very much that and it is in the true sense of the word a community so you know for the good the bad and the the ugly the community are there and it was just such a I think a country town's a great place for kids to grow up in mm. um, not always good to stay I think it's good to leave and and experience the world whether you come back or not but I think to grow up in a country town is really special yeah, dead right. I, I would uh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I feel like yeah. the community spirit that we have in in a big city here in Australia is just it's just not the same thing as what it is mm. in those those places. And as we lead into summer of 2019 here, there's been a lot of bushfires in northern yeah. New South Wales and Queensland, and I've mm. seen that community spirit. You see it on the news, in the media, and whatnot. How people pull together, right? It's very different from the city. Very, very different. Yeah, it's it is different. I think with like something like a bushfire or floods, it does normally happen in rural areas. So you mm. see that community spirit at its best. I think in the city, when there's just not that connection that's been built up in a suburb or in a certain street, you know, in the streets that you live in. Mm. So if if a tragedy happens, no one knows each other to come. You know, it, you know, you could get connections through your kid's school or things like that, but it's not the same as what you would find in a rural community. Yeah. Which makes it's what makes Australia really, really unique. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Would would agree. I was just going to say one last point there on that. I was I was lucky enough to be uh, interviewed on a radio up in Coffs Harbour of all places recently. I was I had to go up there and and I was doing some interviews for the Goal In Show and they invited me to go on the radio up there. And I remember I, I had to. I came from the airport. I got picked up. I dropped off, dropped off my stuff and I had. I don't know, it must have been about 15 minutes. And I just walked down the end of the street to get a quick cup of coffee and a bite to eat for lunch before I off I went to go and do my thing. And mm. walked down the street, I must have stepped 20 steps out the front of the motel in Coss Harbour in, <laughs> in country New South Wales. There's about five people that said hello to me. Hello, good day. Hi. Mm. And I was, I was looking around going, are they, are they talking to me? Mm. Are they are. Very nice, very nice. Yes. Lovely, uh, lovely part of the world. If you ever get a chance to journey up there, head up to Coss Harbour. It's I beautiful. certainly will, yeah. Joe, tell us a little bit about your current business and your current role. How, where, where did that all start for you? Because like most people, your background is in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. But how long is it that you've been doing what it is that you do now? I've been doing consulting now for or uh, eight eight years or so in in sort of various capacities and I sort of moved from I had my sort of 20 odd years in corporate which I loved I absolutely loved the corporate life it was I was really suited to it I loved the structure I loved the learning I loved the the drama of it the it was it was an exciting time in the company that I worked with at that at that time and then after I finished with my corporate work, I lived overseas for a number of years in um, Hong Kong, London and Boston and daughter was born in Boston. So then I came back and I was taking some time off and I thought, what, you know, what do I do? So I thought, what is it about me? What are my strengths? What do I love to do? And what's my experience? And how do we put that together? 
So one of the things for me is that I have to be around people. That is just my, you know, I'm an extrovert. I get energy from people. I love meeting people. I love talking with them. I love getting to know them and building relationships with them. So I knew that it had to have that element to it. And then I certainly wanted the flexibility of working for myself for a number of reasons. And then I just look, okay, what's my experience? What am I good at? What have I done? What have I learnt? And so that's where it started. And it started, I started with my image consulting, working with corporates in with their personal brand, the image. And then that just developed into the Extraordinary Executive, which is a you know, boutique coaching agency now, working with one-on-one clients, but also with corporates and their teams. And what about looking back? I mean, it's a while ago now, you're sort of eight, nine years in it. Did you ever envisage it would end up here where you are today? No, no. <laughs> I didn't. Different to what you thought it would be? I think I'm not one of these people that says, right, that is where I'm going to go. I'm sort of like, let's start here and see where it takes me. So that's just my personality. I like new things. I like learning new things. I like, you know, creating new things. So uh, for me to have to say, I want to be at this point in eight years time, that would be far too limited for me. Mm-hmm. So, That's a, the reason I ask that is because yeah. I feel exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've struggled a lot with goal setting in my life and mm-hmm. different types of goal setting, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, I'm good at saying where I'm going to be in 12 or 18 months time, but in talking about in my five-year plan and my, mm. oh my gosh, that's like really, really hard. I've, I've been inside a, uh, an ecosystem with a fellow who does a lot of consulting into China. So mm-hmm. if you, if you want to get your business selling products and services into that market, a lot of Aussies want to do that. A lot of people around the world want to sell into that market because it's a, it's a vast opportunity. And one of the really interesting mm-hmm. things that I, I learned in and amongst all the confusion and the cultural differences and things that are there is when Chinese companies create goals, they create like 100 year goals. And there's teams of people that sit around and think about where we're going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, and 100 years. And their job is to map it all out because when they do something, they're really doing it for the long term. And, you know, you start talking about technology that hasn't even been thought of yet. So how are we going to exist in 100 years time? What are we going to do to mitigate that? And the planning process they go through is really extensive. And you know what? It just makes my head spin because mm. <laughs> I'm having a hard time thinking like three quarters ahead in my business, never mind a hundred years into the future. It's ridiculous. And what do you think is behind them doing that? planning for a hundred years. I think a lot of it's got to do with the longevity of the business. And if the government's going to invest into their businesses and their products and their services, the government wants to know that they're going to get a long-term return on those types of investments and to make those sorts of things happen for them as well. You know, they, cause they're not doing it alone. Of course they're doing it with support of the government and um, you know, it's all about economic development in that part mm-hmm. of the world. And they want to, you know, it's the power shift be- sure. between the U S and the Chinese and all those sorts of yeah. things. It's really interesting times. Really interesting. Yeah, very. And I think that's an example of where perhaps goal setting has its place. But mm-hmm. I think for, if you try to, you know, put in concrete goals for, certain types of people it won't work because we're not all that we're not wired that we're not all wired that way mm. so you know I sort of get to know the person first and then find out sort of what's their personality and what's their history and what's their what do they like to do what's what are they 
what do they lean to? Are they more goal-oriented or are they just a bit like me? Let's just see how this goes. Mm -hmm. um, and you can still have, you know, check-in points or milestones, but to have that in concrete, for me personally, far too restrictive. Yeah, I, I discovered for myself exactly the same thing. I, I prefer, instead of goal setting, that's kind of, I think it's the language that I don't mm. like. I, I prefer mm. intention setting. I prefer oh, I love that. the mm. intent. The intent mm. of what I'm doing is to bring in more customers, to do more sales, to mm. win business, whatever the intention is. Mm. Is, you know, setting a goal of saying, oh, I want, you know, 500 new customers in the next three months, like, and then working backwards from there, how do I get that? It's like, well, yeah, that's that's a way of doing it. But the intent is to have 500 new customers. Well, what do I need to do? It's same, same, but slightly different. I think it, well, I think it's very different because it's all very well for, you know, to say, you know, 500 customers or, you know, X amount of dollars by, you know, the first quarter, second quarter. But once you get into, well, what is our intention? Why are we here? Then that becomes the focus and not the actual well, that's what should become the focus, in my opinion, not the actual goal. Like, because you can move the goal, you can change the date, you know, but it's what you intend to do. What is your intention in the meantime? Mm. Absolutely. So, let's yeah. get into that a little bit more. But before we hmm. do that, let's segue and, and hop into the into your Go All In story. Joe, people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories? and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Mm. Do you know, I think I often reflect on this and think, what you know, and I get asked, why, why are you where you are or how have you got to where you are and how do you keep going through adversity? And I think I was fortunate to grow up in a country town, unfortunately, to grow up in a household where our father was very abusive in every possible way. So it was an environment of fear, uncertainty, and he would literally, and I kid you not, eyeball me every day and say, you are nothing. You are stupid and you will amount to nothing. All that is going for you is your pretty face. That's it. And don't forget it. So that, I mean, the damage that parents the control that parents have over their children I don't think they they realize what you know what they're doing now you know look at the time I thought you know you're scary you're mean and that's not true so my thought and I've got uh, six brothers and sisters so you know we all have our own story but it's a shared story as well mm. and I think I look back and I think how did I survive that why did I survive it and how do I keep going? You know, because that was just the sort of, uh, unfortunately, that was an early age to learn about adversity and trauma. Mm. You know, hopefully for most people they get, you know, they, they have to wait a bit until they, you know, in the adulthood for something like that to happen. But that wasn't my case. And how old were you? Well, I was uh, seven when my mother died. And I think that that must have been some sort of catalyst for my father I think he was abusive before she died, but she protected us. She was a beautiful, beautiful woman. So without, with her not being there and the stress that he must have been under with a single dad with, you know, seven kids, that's not, not easy. But he was his own worst enemy. He was, you know, I don't know. I don't, it's really difficult to sort of sum up what he was because 
he was just abusive and mean mm. and he didn't need to be because he had six kids that were good kids. They were, you know, looking for him for leadership and for, for love, but he, he was just incapable of doing it and he wanted to tear you down. He was a real divide and conquer. That if he was a if he was a, a leader, that's his, would be his leadership style, divide and conquer, which mm. you know we all know how that turns out. Did you know where it came from? From his when from him growing up with his parents like that with him, or did he have some experience in his life that caused you know you guys to be on the receiving end of all of that? I think he didn't know his father. He grew up in central New South Wales, and. His mother, I think, struggled at times and they had to go to a home, a boy's home. Mm. And I think, you know, there must have been, that must have been horrible. And he was also in the uh, Korean War. Uh, so I don't think, I think all of that makes for a very, and, you know, in those days, Rob, there was no assistance for children or for troubled souls like he was. Mm. He was on his own. And also, you know, in that era, it was, I will look after my family. I can do it. Mm. And the truth is he can't, he couldn't for a number of reasons. Like practically he couldn't do it, but he wouldn't accept any help. So I think he had a troubled background in answer to your question. Definitely troubled. Mm. Gosh, that must, have, that must have set you up for a transition. So you mentioned before that you moved to Melbourne when you were 16, 17 years old. Yeah. Tell us about that, that that must have been difficult for you as a difficult childhood, difficult teenage years, and then transitioning on your own to the, to the big smoke down into Melbourne. What was that like? It was in the beginning, it was horrible <laughs> because hard. by that stage he had died. He, he, he died seven years after my mother died. So we had seven years of, of living with that sort of abuse. But then after that, we were sort of free, really. Our life got better. So how was it? It was, yeah, like I moved to the city. I wanted to go. I wanted to explore. I knew that, you know, there was a whole world out there. But I also had in the sort of, when I was at school, I had friends that had really great families. Mm. So I knew, I had an idea of what a good family looks like. So, so that was my reference point. Mm. And I just knew that what I experienced wasn't normal and it wasn't right and Rob I was lucky enough to just be born with a, a sunny disposition and so which is great but it can be annoying to people too um, but so I just have this ability to be able to bounce back at things and I'm not for one minute saying I find it easy I do not mm. but I know how to do it and I succeed in doing it you know resilience and adversity are one of the the great skills that you can acquire in life. And, you know, mine was probably, ex my experience was extreme to get those skills, but I think it just put, you re put, put me in a really good position to just go out there and live your life. And I made lots of mistakes and at times it didn't work. And when I moved to Melbourne, I was very lonely. I'd left a country town where everyone knew me and they looked out for me and I had friends and they were still there, but I was, I was itchy. I was keen to go. Mm. And, you know, I, I paid for that. I suffered for the, what you do when you move somewhere new, when you don't know anyone and you get, you get homesick for what you know. Mm. So there was all of, all of that, that 
I experienced and, and got through. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that because that's a, it's a deeply personal story. Is, yeah. and thank you. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard for me on this side of the microphone to kind of he- hear it. And because my childhood was a complete opposite of yours. Mm. It, it was probably exactly what you were seeking and realizing that that's what it could have been. You know, I came from a, a, a loving, caring family from two hardworking parents who did everything they could to make my brother and my life better. And that they, my parents were really giving in allowing us to be us and allowing us to be ourselves and to do our own things. And, and I think that comes a little bit from um, the start of their relationship, which is kind of a little bit, I guess it's a little bit funny, but then it's not so funny. Then it's funny again, where dad, dad lived at the top of the street and mum lived at the bottom of the street and mum saw dad and went, Oh, he's pretty cute type thing. And they, <laughs> they hooked up. And then all of a sudden one day my mum says, I'm pregnant with my with my brother right and so they really um, did hook up so they they hooked they hooked up back in back in the day and um so my dad's parents were from the ukraine and in world war ii they were picked up and they were farmers they were picked up and shipped shipped off to uh to germany to go and farm the farmland in germany because everyone was away fighting and somebody had to keep the agriculture going so they picked up these folks that they'd captured and um moved them over and um my mum why is like german right and Germany invaded Poland and the Ukraine and all these places during World War Two, and and my dad's my dad's parents were like, no, 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 you can't marry that German girl. You can't do this. You can't do that. And it was really, uh, it was really hard. It was a lot of tension there. And and my brother was born, of course, and that all kind of dissipated. But it was still there. It was there. And my my grandmother, my dad's mother, on on her deathbed, apologised to my mother, and she's like, "Well, that was, none of that was your fault. You, none of that was yours." And she'd held on to it a whole life. And you know, when I when I was a teenager, and I said that, "Hey, I want to join the navy," my dad was like, "Oh my god, what what?" And he was like against it, and he was like, Ugh. "And my mother was like, ah, whatever, you know." And they signed the papers, and off off we went. But I always remember, always remember my mum and dad sharing that story, and you know whatever you want for your kids is you can, it's like the opposite of what you had. Yes. You know, they did everything that they could to encourage me, to help me and to support me and to do that. And, and even as an adult, they still did the same things. And I guess it's just two, two different experiences, two completely opposite mm. ends of the spectrum experiences like that as well. What about if you've, if you've experienced something like you've gone through, that's quite traumatic. And did you carry that into your early twenties? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did it That's something. You? Oh, absolutely, Rob. That's something that you don't just get over or leave behind. You can't. It's too, you know, part I was, it's part of you. And I was seven, mm. right? So it's, it's such an early age of development and, and, you know, development, I guess. And so there's no way that I could have, I don't think anyone can really just, pick up and go on. At some point in time, it catches up with you and you have to deal with it. Mm. And for me, it was the breakup of a relationship in my 20s that I was questioning. I was questioning why I felt the way that I did about the breakup because it was for the right reasons. But I, I, felt, a lot, I felt like a sense of loss. And so I couldn't understand that. I mean, now we all know that a breakup is like a death, mm. but that sort of got me on the, the course of finding out how I can go forward in a positive way rather than 
carrying all that stuff because that's a lot of stuff to carry. Mm. And, you know, it, I've worked on that my whole life. I've, you know, so I, I think if I hadn't, have, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. But I have and I've done, you know, it's hard. It's not always easy. But once you sort of get over that, the real hump, and then, then you are free to be yourself. Then you're free to embrace things and, and take risks and believe in yourself. Mm. So it took a long time because with that, with my father telling me that every day, it took a long time for me to believe in myself, mm. even though I knew what he was saying was wrong and, and cruel, that still messes with your head. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can't, you can't hear those words from somebody's there to protect somebody that's supposed to be protecting you and not let it affect you. The way I kind of describe it is like, uh, for lack of a better word, it's like baggage. You know, you, you, you pick up your bags and you mm. walk over here, you put them down yeah. and you take them with you. And, and over, over time you end up carrying more stuff and more stuff. Yes. And one really good thing about uh, when I was in the military, I remember going um, overseas and, and you, you got like a duffel bag and your equipment that you're carrying and stuff, but that's pretty much it. And when you go on exercise, it's like that as well. You got like one bag and it's like, I was in Alpha Company and the, the, the side of the bag was painted with spray paint yellow and my, my number is on there. My name is on there. And you're like, look at all these bags, you know, there's a hundred bags. Where's my one? There it is. There you look in the bag. There's nothing in there. That's my whole life, you know, like, and yeah. when you, when you realize that it doesn't matter, you can leave that baggage behind mm. and take what you've just got with you. And, mm. you know, in, to, to continue with the, the analogy, you know, I would take my weapon and my webbing and my pack that I had and I didn't need anything else. Everything else was actually weighing me down. That was backloaded somewhere else. And, you know, it's a good metaphor for life as well. You know, we all have baggage, but sometimes mm. if you shed a little bit of that stuff and leave it behind, it can just, lighten your load emotionally physically spiritually intellectually it's just a a good thing to do how did how did you lighten your load just by doing that by working with a therapist for uh you know for a long time and as i I think i always i'm naturally a confident person so even though that can be at odds with some with you know how i used to feel in terms of self-doubt and and self worth but I was you know happy disposition and I was confident so I just used those two I guess skills to 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 keep going and to to know that I I just always knew Bob there is something better out there Mm. I can get through this if I do the hard work with Helen is her name if I do the hard work with Helen I'm going to be better off for it I'm going to live a life that is you know fulfilled and and contented and i can have relationships that have that as well so you have to do the hard work there's no way around it It, and it is hard it's Mm. brutal Mm. but that's only for a period of time and once you do that then you start with okay so i'm here what can i do now like the world's my oyster now Mm. You know, nothing is stopping me. And it took me, you know, it took me a long time. But I think, and it's what I, why I do what I do is because I think we are all capable of reaching a huge potential or being better people. You know, it's just it's just around the corner for everybody. Mm. Do you remember if there, was there a catalyst for you where 
one day you kind of just started to feel better because I, I do know what it feels like to be a bit down in the dumps. Mm. Like everybody, we all feel a little bit sad and a bit kind of weighed down by life all the time. And I'm no different. You know, I, I think I have a, I don't really have a, a happy disposition or a cheerful. My daughter has a really beautiful, cheerful disposition. <laughs> like she'll grumble and complain about something to start. But then as soon as she starts, she's all happy and cheerful about it. And it's kind of really, it's a fun thing to see. Uh, and it's like her natural state is cheerful. And I'm not sure if my, my natural state is definitely not cheerful. It's definitely not happy, like that happy person all the uh, time. I'm just kind of normal. But I, I do know when over the last year or so, it's probably a little bit while ago now, probably 18 months ago or so, I'd been involved in some things that were not quite aligned to where I was going. They were taking me away from the targets that I'd set for myself. They were moving me in a different direction in my life. And life was just really kind of getting in the way. And it was like, and I'd wake up in the morning and be like, oh, and I'd get out of bed and go, oh, my back, oh, my knees. Ugh. And I just complain about everything, right? I was like constantly complaining. Yeah. And but I rationalize in my head, no, nah, it's going to be okay. No, nah, we're going to be good. We're going to be okay. Mm. Without realizing that, you know, you're a feeling being and a thinking being as well, but your feel, feelings override your thinking mm. is what I discovered about myself. And I was feeling crap about everything. Mm. But the reality is no matter how much I justified that feeling of crapness to myself, it didn't yeah. get any better. And eventually I cut it loose. And when I cut it loose, it was a catalyst. Mm. It was a catalyst for me. And I was really i would wake up in the morning I'm, my back didn't hurt my knees didn't hurt i'd bounce out of bed i'd go to the gym i'd do my thing and all of a sudden life just like really improved and it improved at a great a really great rate of knots for me and that's because i suddenly got alignment back to where i should have been what mm. I, should have, I shouldn't have been doing that i didn't realize i shouldn't have been doing that at the time and that's that's the problem with emotional intelligence right and and uh, your ability to understand that when you're in the weeds and you're fighting and something's going on like that, you've got to be able to stand back and stand outside from yourself and detach and be able to look at that and say, well, maybe that's a problem. And I, yeah. I guess I had a little bit of that, but you know, for me, when I started to feel better, life just improved. Radically mm. Mm. Did, this, did you have a similar experience? I think well, I can relate to, well, I think I had probably lots of those experiences but I guess the the next major hurdle in my life was a few years ago uh, my husband and I separated and it was unexpected traumatic he wasn't the person that I thought he was so there was a lot of devastation over over that and then at that same time and the way that he left was very cruel really and at that same time my daughter who was 13 was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh gosh! So it it was as it was as ugly as it gets in terms of you know feeling helpless, powerless, overwhelmed, traumatized. You know, I was she was really really ill. Like she literally couldn't get out of bed. I'd have to lift her to go to the bathroom. So she was ill, and she was she had a broken heart because she felt abandoned. Mm. So. I was thinking, how, how can I fix her health and her heart and, and mine? You know, like I was, my spirit was broken. But I remember her saying to me many times, Mum, will this get better? And I said, it will always get better. I said, good things are coming. It's crap now, but good things are coming. And she said, how do you know? I said, I just know. 
I just, it always has. And I said, have I ever let you down? And she'd say, no. I said, well, we'll just keep going. And that's what we did. And it was hard. It, it was full of, oh, you know, disappointments and sadness and, and all of those things as everyone experiences when, when you know, a, a horrible divorce separation happens. And it's not in my nature to be combative. It's just not. I don't mind conflict. I can negotiate and I'm, that's fine. But being mean to another person is not how I solve things. So there was lots of, there was so many examples that I used to teach my daughter how we're going to get through this and to, to teach her that, you know, her dad is doing the best he can. It's not what you would want, but he's doing the best that he knows how, you know, it might fall short in, you know, father of the year, but he's doing the best that he can. And eventually she accepted that and realised that if she wanted to have a relationship with her dad, she would have to accept him Mm. because he wasn't going to change. He didn't want to change. And that was a hard lesson for her to learn at the time, that if, why can't you change? Everyone can change. Why won't you be this, uh, this uh, person? And, you can't change if you don't want to. You can't make another person change, which is something that I, I learned. At, you know, I had a big learning moment there that I can't control their relationship. I couldn't control it at the time. I certainly can't now. But so I let that go. Thought, I, I have to step back because it was doing my head in mm. because I wanted him to step up in the way that I felt he should. You know, this is all about what I, my standards, I guess, what I thought he should be doing. So getting back to your question, I guess we more recently, that was a time when we both had our backs against the wall and we thought, okay, well, we either, and I taught her about fixed mindset and growth mindset Mm. and what are we going to be? And we, as our family, as small as it is, hers and, you know, her and me, we've got a growth mindset and we're going to get through this. And I, you know, I do think that that helped her and she knew that she could rely on me. She, I was solid. I wasn't, I devoted all that time to her. I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't, she wasn't afraid that I was going to abandon her. Mm. So we got through that and, and you know, she's thriving now as a, as a person. She still has her health issues. She's going to be finishing year 12 this year. She's going to go on to uni next year. I'm doing great in my business. Life's really good for us right now Mm. Uh, but a few years ago it wasn't but it's you know as I say the only constant is change and we wanted to make we wanted to make sure that it was a positive change to go forward and not be you know and I didn't want her to be an adult that looked back with a lot of anger at her dad or a lot of resentment or you know, I really wanted her to sort of have as, as balanced a view on things as I could possibly teach her. <laughs> it's, so, it's such a hard thing as a parent, isn't it? You know, like I, I, I giggle, not at you, I'm giggling at myself because I think, is my daughter going to turn like 25 and go, man, my old man was just crazy. What was he trying to teach? <laughs> but, you know, the, I, I discovered with uh, young girls, what do I know about teenage girls? Nothing. She's about to turn 13. I'm about to find out. Um, <laughs> I remember when I was 13, it was easy for boys. You know, I played football. I was with my mates. So I went to karate lessons. I had a girlfriend. I rode my bike. Um, <laughs> that was that was it. You know, my life was simple. And I loved school because I, I, I loved uh-huh. English. I loved books. I, I was not that good at mathematics, but I kind of tried. You know, life was good. It was just kind of yeah. block standard 
Aussie, Aussie grown up, but mm. turns out that uh, young, young teenage girls have a much harder time of it at school. Mm. And I'd, I've discovered that recently in mm. her first year of high school. And, and, you know, at every point, like when you went through that with your daughter, at every point, there's almost like a fork in the road because mm. your kids see everything. They're mm. watching everything. They're listening to everything. And you're setting mm. the example for everything. Mm. And I thought I tried to come up with a way to trump everything. So no matter what my behavior was, no matter what I said, I'd just give her one thing that she could refer to as a reference point. And I think we're so lucky in this day and age because you and I are way more educated than what our parents were mm. because of the internet mm. and we've got more stuff available to us. And, and the thing that I came up with, because she was coming home, she was in tears. Oh, the kids are mm. saying, uh, Oh, they're brutal. They're yeah, brutal. I, and I didn't know because mm. my early part of high school was amazing. <laughs> I, don't think, I, I had the opposite experience to her. Mm. I, I, I worked out and I said to her, no matter what happens in the world, you cannot control what somebody else thinks, mm. says, or does. All you can do is control how you feel about yourself. And mm. you've Good got case. a choice whether or not you want to react to it, mm. whether or not you want to feel sad about that or happy about that or annoyed about that mm. or angry about that. That's your completely your choice. Somebody else, and this is where I kind of arrived at, somebody else cannot ever control the way that you feel so if you're mm. cranky with me about something i'm not making you cranky you're making yourself cranky i'm not mm. doing anything to make you cranky and to to throw your toys and slam your door and carry on like teenagers do that's kind of your prerogative to do that it's none of my business um so mm. and, and i think that that helped her a, a whole lot it gave her a, a nice little reference point in her life and it sounds like you did exactly the same thing with your daughter what tell me what's the relationship like with her and her father now is it is it better it's better. Yeah, it's much better. Yeah, it is. It's a lot better now. I give credit to my daughter for being so sort of mature about it because she know you know she accepts his flaws, but and she loves him dearly, and he loves her dearly. So yes, the relationship is 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 better. Yeah, much better. No, that's good. It sounds like a, there's a couple of really big goal in stories there for you and. Your daughter. Now, what about her health challenges? Chronic fatigue. That's mm. that's doesn't just go away. That's like an autoimmune disease, right? Yeah. It look. It's we don't know how she got it, or or but it, she, it doesn't really matter. She, you know, she's got it. We we've been through every doctor, specialist, alternative medicine, everything, mm. and no, the really Rob, no one has an answer to chronic fatigue. Mm. You have to learn to manage it, and that's what I learned was. I was seeing this person, this uh, specialist, and then this specialist, and, and no one talks to each other. So you're the one that's managing mm. the illness. And what I learned was, you know what, none of you have got the answers. Mm. You, so you take bits and pieces of what they've got to offer and you work with it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we don't know why she gets up and she's got energy. And then other days she could be in bed for two days. We, why? You know, he's always, what did you eat? What did you do? What, you know, but it's about with chronic fatigue, it is about management and it's about finding what, finding out what your base level is. What is the absolute least that I can handle? And then you work up from that. And that's how we do everything now is how will that affect your energy? How will that affect if you do this, this and this, what impact will that have? Mm -hmm. So it gets her just to think about the consequences, I guess, of, of, of the choices that she makes must be really hard for a for a kid to have something like that because you miss out on so much stuff 
You know what? It would have to be probably one of the saddest things I've ever had to watch, mm. Rob, is her missing out on her on those years at school and she was away for a lot of her school her high school years. Mm. And you're out of sight, out of mind. You know, the kids forget you. You're not part of the, the clan at the moment. And it was and it's really difficult and it's difficult for kids to understand what an invisible illness is. If they can't see it, we could say adults are the same. If you can't see it, is it really real? Mm. But if she came to school with a broken leg, everybody would be fussing and making sure she had everything and all of those things. But because you couldn't see it, and she was very good at masking it too. She was She's a real little warrior at, at sort of, she'll just, she's very stoic and she won't say if she's in pain or if she's feeling tired when she was at school because she wanted to be accepted by the girls. But it was, it was just awful, you know, Rob. It was just, it's awful because it's so, the social interaction with your cohort is so important at that age. That is where you develop your sense of your world, your social world and your connection. And, um, and what about the really, last two years of high school, like year 11, year 12 now? Yeah. Has, has that improved for her? That must have improved a whole lot now. Much, yeah. Yep. We moved her to a different school, Rob, and it was the best thing. It's uh, the, other sc- the school that she was going to was a great school. It, it, it just that this school suited her much better. They were very, they're very nurturing. They're very, I remember the day that I went for the interview and they said, what do you want from us? And I said, I want you to be open to doing things differently, that this isn't a student that's going to come and turn up at 9 o'clock and go home at 3. This is what it might look like, but then it might look like something else as well. And they were really on board with that. And the girls are just beautiful girls. They really are. They're very caring and fun and they all seem to have a really good moral compass. So she's really happy and I'm happy that, you know, She's happy. Very nice. And what's she going to do at university? She's going to do uh, fashion. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. her. That's her. In all the years that she, you know, couldn't go to school, she was teaching herself about fashion because that was sort of her her real interest. And so she's developed a lot in that area. So that's where she's going to go into, which would be great for her. The dynamic creative types. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what I have to deal with, Rob. <laughs> the creative types. That's right. I live with an artist. I live with a photographer. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Typically, photographers are, are, are mechanical. They, they're equipment junkies, right? They love gear and stuff yes. like that. But my missus is not like that at all. She's no. for the gear. She's the artist and bringing people in and existing <laughs> everything. And yeah, oh, that's funny. Sometimes like, oh my god, just take the picture, weird lady. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, that's the other thing. My daughter is quite the perfectionist. So when she's doing a shoot, like we've done, you know, styling shoots or fashion shoots, Mm. she is just right on the detail, which is great for where where she's going and what she wants to do. But, gee, it's frustrating when you have to live through it. (laughs) It's the common traits of the artist versus the leader, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's a nice segue for us, Joe. Thank you for sharing those stories and, and uh, there's some lessons learned in there for sure. And I uh, really you. appreciate you sharing such personal 
stories. Thank you so much for that. Um, tell us a little bit about your consulting business. I want to know because leadership for me is one of my favorite topics. As you know, we've had quite a few conversations in and around that and, and I enjoy that topic. And how did you find yourself in that space? I think it was because, you know, I went back to what I know, what I'm comfortable with. Mm. It was a number of reasons. That was one of them. And I just thought there was so much that I could do in that space, mm. you know, uh, especially around emotional intelligence. So I guess I was just comfortable in that space. It was just what I was drawn to because mm. you know, uh, I think, it, you know, working in the corporations that I had that, you know, as I said, I, I lo- really enjoyed that. And so moving into consulting in this space, it just, I, I just really enjoyed it. I like the interaction. I like the challenges. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you talk about emotional intelligence, but you also talk about something else that I really liked. You talked about, I'm not sure if it's yours. I think it is. It's, you talk about a DQ or a decency quote. Mm. Look, you know, it's not mine. I, I happened to uh, just fall upon it when I was doing some research. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, a professor in a university in um, America. Anyway, I, I've run with it now because I just love it. And it is it, the the decency quotient is really it's about making when you make a decision thinking about is it the decent thing am I doing the right thing by the other person mm. is this decision that we are all making going to benefit those that we serve and I think a good example of that not happening is in the recent banking the royal uh, commission. the royal commission thank yeah. you the royal commission where it was obvious that that is not what they would, they were not doing the decent thing. Mm. And the public saw how some leaders of some of the banks and their boards were arrogant, neglectful, greedy, and it was all about the bottom line. It was never about the customer. Mm. So I think for their customers and for the general public, I think we sort of felt like, gosh, you know, here you are telling us we're important, but we're not really. When you're selling us products that we don't need and that we'll never be able to use if we do decide to ring you up and say, I want it. And, you know, people had lost a lot of their life savings and they were in lots of really awful situations that could have been prevented if if the banks had done the decent thing and they didn't. And particularly, I think, particularly hard to be decent when you're a criminal. Yeah, well, because a lot of the activity was criminal, wasn't it? Or it, or it really was very, very, very grey. So in in the modern world, we know there's so much leadership training out there, and there's a lot out there about emotional intelligence. There's a lot out there about profiling and and disc and all of that. How do you fit in the decency quote in there? Is it just that that must be a bit of a gut thing there? You have got decisions to make. You have got Sometimes you, you, it's hard decisions to make and you've mm. got to do the right thing, but you can't always do the right thing that you need to do. You've got to do the right thing by shareholders and mm. all those hard, mm. hard decisions to make. Where, where does that fit in? Where does the DQ fit in? Well, I think it fits in with every decision that you, literally every decision that you make. And then as a leader, you that trickles down to the frontline staff. But I think that this is where emotional intelligence or the EQ comes into play it's like that's being aware that's being self-aware that's being aware of your own emotions and reactions and but there's also the social sort of intelligence as well and that is how you interact with people 
how you talk with them, how do you listen to them, like are you really listening to them and hearing what they say. So that, you know, one, of the, I, I, one thing I teach is that the, the strongest skill or the best skill a leader can have is to ask a question, shut up, stop talking and listen and then keep asking the next question and then keep asking the next question because often the first answer won't be the real answer that you want. And, you know, that's social intelligence, that's doing the decent thing because as a leader you're finding out what is really important with the staff with or the, the senior team that you lead or their team or and it just trickles down like that. If you're asking those questions and if that's the way that you operate, that has a flow-on effect. Yeah, I'd absolutely uh, agree with that. I'll share a little anecdote with you. It's mm-hmm. kind of a little bit funny. Um, when I first kicked off this podcast, it's made a little bit more than 18 months ago. It's a process of reinvention, right? So I'd been doing whatever it else it was in digital marketing that I've been doing forever. And there's a few things that happened that just kind of made me want to stop doing that, not permanently, but just stop doing that for the time. And, and I wanted to do media for a long time. And, and it took me probably about 20 episodes to find a bit of a battle rhythm where it didn't feel like I was doctoring a conversation or I was doing something like that. And, 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 you know, it's, it's hard. Am I going to create a persona? Am I going to create an online? Am I going to be the go all in guy? Or am I just going to be myself? And, and I realized that I just got to be myself, right? And everybody listening to this will go, yeah, just be yourself. It's easier. You don't have to try and pretend to do something. And, but, it, but it was hard because, you know, I'm worried about gear. I'm worried about recording and then I'm editing. And then it's like, it's, it's stressful to learn a new skill. And it took me around, as I say, about 20, 20, 30 episodes to really get into a groove of it. And then I did about, 30 or 40 other interviews to refine my message. And once I started to refine my message, I found that I was really able to articulate it on a podcast like this with somebody like yourself quite easily. And one of the really interesting byproducts of learning to podcast and becoming a podcaster is you get really, really good at asking Sometimes you ask them every now and then I ask a boneheaded question is what I call it. But most of the questions I ask are designed to create a response and, and the podcaster never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to, right? Or, or she, he or she. And I discovered that, I don't know, it must've been six months in or something like that. And I was invited to a local networking meeting. And I was like, oh, I haven't been out for a while. Maybe go, go and have some food and have some breakfast and see <laughs> people, drink a coffee, whatever, you know, I'll go see. So I went along to this meeting and, you know, at a networking meeting, people were like, oh, hi, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a podcaster with my radio voice <laughs> around. Right? Got a good radio voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, they, and they're like, oh, you're a podcaster. So tell me about that. And then I, I found myself being able to ask these questions of people that were like, oh my God, that's such a good question. And then... The, the byproduct of the skill set that I had developed over the last six months or whatever it was, was being able to ask really great questions, but then being able to stop and be completely present with them mm-hmm. and hear their answer. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that was like a, a point where I realized that all of these years in running teams of people, 20, 30 people in my business, I didn't really listen to them. Mm. And it's because in a podcast, it's me and you. And it's been mm. for an hour. There's no phone. There's no distraction. The door's closed. Nobody can come in here. It's only you and me. And mm. 110% of my attention is on what you're saying. And I found at this networking meeting when I was doing that face-to-face, I was garnering these responses from people that I hadn't had in the past. Mm. And that active listening, I suppose, mm. is, it, 
present-minded yeah. listening. There's some. There must be. Must be called. It, well, it's called active listening. Mm. Yeah, it's active listening. Yeah, mm. and it's powerful, and it is a skill, because I we're busy, and it doesn't come natural to people to to be comfortable with silence and allow that other person's space to respond. So often it's the person that's asking the question that, that gets all, you know, anxious because there's, there's, there's space, there's, there's, there's nothing happening, I should say something and they keep talking. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, they need to just stop talking and listen. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and, you know, it seems so simple but, so, but it's so hard to actually put into practice. And, you know, I understand the, face, the fast pace of business that sometimes, you know, I will hear, I just don't have time for that. Mm. It's like you don't have time not to do that. Mm. You know, you have to. That's where it starts is with, you know, listening. You've got to start listening. That is where all of your information that will be gold will come from is, you know, your interaction and, and your rapport with people. And when you, you know, you know yourself, if someone is, if you're talking with someone and you really feel that you're being heard or they're really listening, they're focused on you, gee, it feels good. Yeah, that person really, you know, paid attention to me, mm. really wanted to hear what I had to say. Mm. Wasn't in a rush, wasn't, I could tell they were thinking of a million things. You know, it's, as I said, it's a hard skill, but it's a skill that's essential. Yeah, yeah, it's a really important leadership skill, isn't it? And yeah. it's kind of a it's a byproduct of of what I'm doing here, learning to podcast. One of the other things that I I learned to do as well, uh, and tell me what you think here is, I think maybe the mistake that I'd been making over the years before I developed the skill and became emotionally intelligent enough because I'm just a knuckle dragger and I don't really think about my emotions <laughs> that much, but to be self aware enough to realise that. I wasn't doing that was there's got to do with these, these things. Mm, yes. When, and I'm holding up a, a phone for the people listening and are not watching the video. So I, I think that one of the things that I learned to do is because when I do a podcast like this, my phone is like in airplane mode. Mm. Just so there's mm. no chance that somebody can accidentally call me while I'm recording something. And what I discovered was if the phone's on the table, when you're talking to somebody, there's always that element in your mind Mm. and for them as well. And there's not too many things that are more annoying that when you're talking to somebody and then they pick up their phone and send a text or hang on one second, I'll answer that. So I, I learned to actually make a point of putting my phone in my bag and letting people see me put my phone in my bag. Hang on, let me put it on silent and I'll put it in my bag away. Mm. So it's outside. So And now, okay, now what have you got? And I think that's excellent, yeah. The present-minded focus mm. of that is like really big. And I don't know if you've ever been walking down the hallway and someone's playing with their phone or you're playing with your phone and they go, hey, have you got a sec? Yes, I do. Hang on one second. And I, I stop what I'm doing completely and I put my phone in my pocket or I move it out of the way. Hang on one second. I go and put it on my desk and I'll walk back to them and go, okay, what have you got for me? Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll stop, hang on, let me finish what I'm doing. I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll, I'll move it away over there. And, and I've discovered that the communication that I get when I do something just as simple as that mm. is incredibly beneficial and powerful as well. Oh, it's very powerful. And it's, 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 it's quite, you know, it's simple, but it's hard to do. But I think by making that, by doing that action that they can see that I'm putting the phone away and the phone 
you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a lot, but it actually is because we are all on our phones and we get distracted by our phones and our phones rule us. So by saying you are more important than whatever is going to come to my phone, I'm going to put it away. Mm. And, you know, just sort of on from that, if someone does catch you up in the hallway or on the hop and, you know, can I have a word with you, you know, now that at that time that might not be a good time for you because you want to be able to devote, you know, a, a quality time to that conversation. So you could say to that person, I really want to have that conversation. I can't now, but let's make a time for when I can and I can be present with you and I'm, you know, all yours. Whereas at the moment I'm thinking about something else and it wouldn't be fair to you. So I think just doing those two things is really powerful to, it gains you instant respect. Mm. Yeah, I love the little nuances of leadership like that. And there's those little things that add up to being a, a big thing. You know, yeah. what makes a good leader? Well, it's yeah. not one big thing. It's a, it's it's a collection of little yeah. things, a collection of subconscious subliminal things mm. that you don't even you don't even realize that are going on. And I didn't realize I was doing these two things that I'm talking to you about because it's just out of habit of podcasting and sitting yes. down at a desk yes. on a screen like this or sitting down face to face with somebody and, and doing that. And, and I was doing that in real life with real people. And then they were like, Oh, Oh, and then in their mind, as you say, it's suddenly they're the most important thing and I'm 110% there with them and that garners a better better and better result, which is a, a really nice thing. You know, Rob, I don't think you're quite the knucklehead you make out you are. <laughs> I, I think have, I um... have to create that persona. Otherwise, like, there's an expectation that has to be lived up to. I can't, I can't maintain it. It's too well, hard. <laughs> you're a fraud. <laughs> you're an imposter. <laughs> I think you've got lots of uh, emotional intelligence and you've just... You're displaying it every time you have a conversation. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Joe, you, yeah. you've worked with some of Australia's top executives in leaderships and you work with CEOs and all sorts of businesses and all sorts of brands. Is there, is there a common thing that a common theme that you like to train them in? Is there a common thing that you really like to share with them that you see most people are lacking? Most leaders are lacking. I'm looking for a little hack here. What, what, mm. what one for me? Look, there are, there are probably several, but one of them is listening, definitely. Empathy. I like to start with, though, I like to get a gauge of where they're at on that scale of, you know, empathy and, you know, what's their emotional intelligence like? Because we're not, you know, it's not up to us to gauge what our emotional intelligence, we need to, to ask other people. Mm. And has that person done that? And what's the feedback? And are they willing to, are they, oh, I say, are you coachable? Are you willing to be coached? Because are some, some people not, not coachable? No, well, everyone's coachable, but do you want to be coached? Yeah, right. Are you open to this? Yeah. And, you know, if they say, everyone will say, yeah, sure I am. But then, yeah, then as we get down a bit, you go, you know what, you're brushing me off, you're not keeping your appointments, you're not doing the work, you're not making the small changes that, you know, you came up with that you were going to make. So those, you know, I call, you have to call them out on it because it's my job as a coach. But then you get the others that are, no, I've come to a point, I have to do better, I want to lead better. And so, you know, my strength i mean they're not going to get me in to help them with their you know business plan right but they'll get me in to help them with their sort of emotional intelligence mm. type of behaviors with their with them or their staff 
So in answer to your question, I think, you know, it's, it's authentic, having empathy and listening. If you start with those and really, really show up as being authentic because mm. people can sense a, a, a fake. You know, it's like when you do, you know, that leader, that manager comes rushing by, you know, oh, how are you going? How are the numbers today? You know, are they up? I want to make sure they're up. Well, of course, he's going to say, yeah, they're up, they're up. What else is he going to say? He's got, you know, 10 seconds. I mean, it's so, it's such an unfair sort of conversation to have. Mm. So it's really being about, I lost my thought there, Bob. So I, I, I was going to edit this out, can't we? We can. <laughs> so you were asking about um, the... The thing, the top things, are they yeah. not coachable? Mm. Oh, they're not coachable. That's right. Let's get back on track. So, yes, everybody is coachable. And I always ask the question, are you coachable? And they always get a bit of a surprise about that. But, you know, sometimes people are told you're having a coach and you're meeting with her, you know, next week. Mm. So that, and sometimes they're not even told why, <laughs> you know, but, but getting a coach, getting an executive coach is a huge privilege because people aren't going to invest in me if they don't want to invest in you. Mm. So it's a sign that they are investing in you and they want you to be a better leader, a better team manager, you know, whatever it is. So um, everybody is coachable. Some just take a little bit longer. <laughs> Some are just a little bit, uh, a little bit know, harder. A little bit harder. It's, you know, those CEOs, they're, um, they're busy. Yeah. So, you know, we have to find a way that works for them and, you know, I've always been able to do that. And it's about just having a conversation, finding where they're at and, you know, getting some sort of some feedback from other people as well. Yeah, it's really, really interesting, interesting real world uh, experience oh. that you've got there. Thank you so much you. for sharing that. I appreciate that. I, I, I've tried to work hard on my leadership in the last couple of months and I was, I've been very introspective in the, in my communication and I do a lot of work with freelancers via the Upwork platform, just helping me promote the show, oh, yes. running ads and just all sorts of like bits and bobs and bits and pieces. And as the people that are listening and, and you probably know yourself is a lot of that stuff is a commodity. And I mean that with the greatest of respect, but you know, if I need somebody to run some AdWords ads or some YouTube ads for me, I can just put that up there and there'll be 30 people that apply for that job in the next 20 minutes. And I'll be able to find one of the world's most skillful people mm. right there. And then if they don't work out for me in the next day or two, I'll just get another one mm. there. And that's what I mean by a commodity. Mm. I, I realized I, I've been listening to a whole lot of leadership podcasts myself and I was it sort of made me be a little bit introspective. Like how could you be a better leader, Rob? What could you do to mm. be a better leader? Cause at any one point there's 10, 15, 20 people in that team of freelancers that are doing stuff for me. And I don't know what happened. I, I just, I just looked at my, at my, at my Slack messages that were there and I thought, man, that is just so blunt. I'm, I'm, I just go straight to the point to mm, somebody mm. and they're like, what do you need me to do? That's what I need you to do. I'd go straight there and they go, okay, no worries. I've got it. Be finished shortly. And and whatever it is that they did, they go away and do a good job, come back. And that's, that's the sort of people that I need. I just need them to execute mm, on the task yeah. at the time I need to, to execute on them. And I thought, maybe I could improve my communication piece. And then I looked at it and, I, and, I, and this is a really hard thing to do for me personally. I think it's my personality type is just straight to the point. Yeah. Don't muck around, just get straight. Yeah. I'm busy, right? Yeah. I thought, how could I improve that? What could I do that would be better? And I thought, 
maybe if you weren't so blunt and maybe you were a little bit kinder, <laughs> like just in, in, just in the language that I was using that I'm typing, just be a bit kinder. Hi, how are you? Hope you had a great weekend. You know, a little bit of kind of fluff on the front and fluff on the end that I normally wouldn't say like, I don't care if you had a good weekend or not, hurry up and finish the task. Mm, mm. But, but then when I kind of injected a little mm. bit of personality into it, I found that the productivity, while didn't really increase, like they didn't do more for the same amount, but what they gave to me was just slightly better. It was ever so mm. slightly better that I could notice it, particularly in and around the design work and some of the campaigns that they were working on. They must have been like, hearing what I was saying previously and just going, Oh yeah, there you go. That's what Rob wants. But now they're kind of hearing it and there's a little bit of emotion in it well, and a bit of emotion was coming back. I was like, Whoa, look at that. <laughs> See, it's not that hard, but what you're doing Apparently. is you were building a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, even though I had good relationships there already, I was like, I didn't realize that my communication was as poor as what it actually was, even mm. though they've been working with me for a long time. So weird it's a weird thing well i think i think you know all that sort of fluff is what engages people mm. you know hi how are you, you you're not going to get what you know a 10 page on what i did on the weekend but it's, it's like oh yeah good thanks you know and and it just and it's and it's very similar to you know what i talk with when i'm coaching is watch the tone of your emails mm. because if you're a manager sending out, a, you know, an instruction or a directive to one of your uh, direct reports or down the line, it's really important to, uh, you know, just be careful of the tone. Don't just like, it, you don't want it to come across as like you're barking orders. Uh, so that sort of greeting, and it doesn't, you know, it's only a few words we're talking about, Rob, mm. and it makes all the difference on the to re, on the receiving end. And that that is where you can... That's how you build relationships, you know, when you're in a, online, when you're writing. Yeah, your like, again, another little mm. pause that I, that I absolutely... Yeah, no, I think it's great. See, yeah. you, you knucklehead. You're not a knucklehead <laughs> or whatever. Knucklehead. <laughs> knucklehead. That's right, knucklehead. There it is. Joe, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your, your business and the insights there. And I wanted to segue into uh, the last part of the podcast here is we're nudging up against an, an hour and 10 minutes here. can't let you go today without putting you in the go all in hot seat. <gasps> Random stuff. A <laughs> couple of quick questions. Tell me, you, you've been fortunate enough to, you mentioned before, you lived in Honkers. Yes. Love Honkers. I'm yeah. not sure about all the chaos in Honkers at the moment. But I know. Mm. And, and London and in, and in the US in Boston as well. Mm. What's the best holiday destination that you've ever been on or, or what would you recommend? Oh, that is a tough one because I have travelled a lot. But when I was younger, I would go on adventure holidays, Rob. Now that I'm older, it's, you know, more luxury type holidays. <laughs> but if you look at those three cities, they're also very different. Mm. And so my favourite city to live in and to visit is London. Mm. I loved it. Boston is beautiful. It, everything about Boston is absolutely beautiful. The, you know, there's so much to see. There's so much history. It's easy to get around. Uh, then you've got, you know, Cape Cod. You've got lots of, you've got so much outside of Boston. So it's a great family holiday. Mm -hmm. And Hong Kong is just bloody exciting. You know, that you can't, <laughs> it's a real attack on the senses. It is. And I, I remember when we first moved there, I really struggled because, it was such a, it was a culture shock. 
and you know I was disgusted by some of their habits you know in the street and I I was just oh I was just indignant of it and then you know I realized I'm not going to change these people these people have been doing this for centuries I'm not going to I'm going to have to get with the program here you're going to get in line lady come on uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh it ended up being I loved it and it was such a wonderful all, all of the places I've lived in and traveled to have been you know, just great, yeah, but, you know, not always run smoothly, but that's the challenge of, of you know, moving and of holidaying. Mm. Very nice, very nice, well said. All right, Joe. thanks for sharing that. Next question is, do you have a, a favourite podcaster or a favourite couple of shows? I do. Uh, I love my podcasts. I'm a real podcast junkie. During the week is all about business and, and development. And on the weekend, it's all about crime and murder. I'm a real, <laughs> uh, you know, real crime junkie. But the podcasts that I never miss when they're downloaded, uh, there's two. One's an Australian one, one's an American one. The Australian one is by uh, Marty Moore mm-hmm. and it's called The No Bullshit Leadership. Mm-hmm. And he, he has... Um, You'll, you'll find it on, on your, you know, whatever platform you listen to. Mm-hmm. He uh, has a podcast every Wednesday and he has been a CEO for huge companies. So he's, he is so easy to listen to. His, his, his advice and his experience are just so valuable. And he, it only goes for about 20 minutes. So it's a really good one to listen to. For those people that are commuters or on the train or even in the car, because 20 minutes you're gonna, you, you've got that covered. The other one is called uh, Coaching for Leaders, mm-hmm. and that is by a guy named Dave Stahovic, and he, as I said, he's American, and that's been going for a number of years now, and just valuable information every week, really good quality. Uh, lessons and he has guests on every week different guests every week and some of them are are just real there's so much gold in what he has to offer so those two podcasts if you're uh, in the leadership space I would really recommend those two awesome awesome and I'll make sure the links are included in the show notes here yes to go right idea in a round from all right next question what's a skill that you haven't mastered yet Mm. (laughs) what's one that I had That's, you're the only person that's ever said that back to that question. That's a good response. <laughs> um, what's one that I haven't mastered? Oh, gosh. I'm a work in progress. I mean, I just, I, I'm continually learning and developing. I, I just don't stop. I don't, I wish I could say that there is one thing that I'm a master at, but I don't, I, you know, I don't know if there is. One thing that, I'm yet to master. Hmm, you've got me there. <laughs> well, if you're not learning, you're dying is what I say. So uh, continue to learn. Is yeah. there one you want to share with us? No, I, I, well, the thing, I find that a really difficult question to answer because there are many things that I've not mastered or, you know, or as I said, I'm a work in progress. So I, I couldn't say that there's one thing. I'd say that there are just many things and, and I'm working really hard every day to be, you know, a better coach, a better mum, a better friend, a better sister. And I, and I really mean that. That's really important to me to, to be the best I can be. And that you just don't decide that. You have, to, you, know, you have to work on that. It takes, you know, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, social awareness, all those things. But that's what I, that's what I strive for. 
Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Well said. Well said. All right, last uh, question for the podcast hot seat. What's the, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? That there is room in the world for everybody. So, and I say that because when I sort of started out in my coaching all those years ago, the, uh, the person who was my mentor and trainer at the time, I remember her saying that, that there's a whole world out there and you will attract some people and you won't attract other people and that will be okay. You can't be all things to all people. That's sometimes, good advice in business. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you get competitive and you get, you become like, it's like you um, have a scarcity mindset. Like I've got to protect what I've got and I'm not telling you anything. And, and that always feels at odds to me anyway, because it's just not my natural way. I, I like sharing things. So that was, I think that's the best piece of advice is that you can't be all things to all people and that is okay because the ones that you do attract will work brilliantly with you. Beautifully said, beautifully said. All right, Joe, as we, uh, as we close out the podcast here, if people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, you can email me at joe at theextraordinaryexecutive.com.au and I know that you're going to have the links below. You can also visit my website. Uh, there's the extraordinaryexecutive.com.au and LinkedIn, which is where a lot of you already connect with me, but yeah, LinkedIn. Excellent. And as Joe said, if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just take a little peek at the show notes and all the links are right there. And if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and they're right there in the show notes. Before I let you go, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your personal stories and your experience. And it's lovely to get to know you a little bit and learn some more about your business. Before I let you go, have you got a parting shot or a final comment for me? I just think you're, what you're doing is fantastic. I, I enjoy listening to each, each episode each week and you're creating your own space and attracting the people that are right for you. And I think that then you get people like me that want to listen to it and learn from it. And I think that you just keep doing what you're doing because, you know, damn those knuckles. <laughs> <We're> good. <laughs> you're doing okay. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate the comment. And thank you again for coming on the show. We look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Thank you so much. there you have it folks if you want to connect with joe just take a little peek at your phone and you'll see the links to her website and her socials right there so you're not going to have to go digging around in google for them and if you're watching this video on facebook or youtube just scroll down and you'll see the links in the description there as well as always if you've got a question or a comment or some feedback for the show you can reach out via the goal in socials or you can send me an email just visit goalin.com.au to find out some more info and if you like what you heard today, if you could leave us a five-star review on the app that you're listening in on, that would be a huge help to us as well. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. Be
just wanna dance, dance. 